Unveiling the Power of Gravitas with Lisa Sun, Redefining Confidence and Embracing Authenticity. Join us for this enlightening conversation with Lisa Sun, the acclaimed author of the national bestseller, Gravitas, The Eight Strengths That Redefine Confidence. Dive into the depths of this genuine self-assurance as Lisa demystifies popular misconceptions around confidence and gravitas. In this interview, she shares her insights of why the famous mantra, fake it till you make it, doesn't always work, and how performative confidence differs from genuine gravitas. Discover why, sometimes, the most influential voice in the room isn't the loudest. Lisa also talks about the tendency to over-apologize and how to break free from that habit. Unless, of course, you've made a mistake. Finally, she discusses the transformative power of feedback and why embracing the one thing approach can help you grow and improve without fear. Don't miss this opportunity to learn from one of the most influential voices in personal development and leadership. Tune in, take notes, and transform your perspective on confidence and authenticity. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show where you're about to go on a wellness-driven ride. for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Let me share with you a little bit more about the guests that we have today. Lisa is the daughter of Taiwanese immigrant parents. She helped pay for her college tuition by winning a Toastmasters competition starting at the age of 12. When she was 22, her manager at McKinsey wrote in her very first review that she needed more gravitas. Lisa spent 11 years at the film firm as a consultant, burnt out, traveled the world, and then after writing down some ideas on a napkin, she took the leap and started her clothing line. And don't all great ideas start on a napkin. But that commitment years before about Gravitas stuck with her. And now two decades later, Lisa has taken all she has learned about the concept of confidence and what it means to know your value honestly and poured it into Gravitas, the eight strengths that redefine confidence. Lisa, now often called the dress whisperer, is a highly sought after public speaker and best-selling author. I'm so pleased to welcome to the stage, Miss Lisa Sun. Hi, Lisa. Mm -hmm. 
April, I'm so excited to be a guest on your show. This is so exciting. I love it. Great. I'm excited to have you and your wisdom and all the amazing things that you're doing. Now, this book, Gravitas, and I want to make sure everybody can see that really well. And I know we'll show it a few times, but this is what you're around traveling the world, you know, letting everybody know that this is the beauty and magic that you're bringing mm -hmm. because it's, it's a book of passion. This is a many years in the works. And I know that you did not only just the writings that came from your heart and your soul, but also the backing of research and science and all of the great things, which we're going to discuss mm -hmm. today. So I'm excited to have you. Mm -hmm. excited to bring that to light for the audience. Let's start by sharing. So the audience knows a little bit more about you, having you just share a little bit more about you. Yeah. So the three things I usually share about myself are I'm the daughter of immigrants from Kaohsiung, Taiwan. Most people don't know where Kaohsiung is. Very few people have ever been there. My parents came to the U.S. in the 70s. My mom worked on a hamburger truck. My dad worked on a loading dock, both college educated, by the way, but just didn't know very many people. And they ended up owning a Mongolian barbecue, $4.95 at lunch, $12.95 dinner, all you can eat. I worked there mm. every summer. There were no child labor laws in 1987. I was an eight-year-old cashier. So I always say you don't dine and dash when an eight-year-old is asking you to pay the bill. Uh, I now know what grip strength is required to run that old school credit card machine. And I always say I grew up knowing what it means to create something from nothing. Immigrants are visionaries. They believe in something before they can see it. And that's how I started my life is in the company of entrepreneurs. The second part of my story is I was at McKinsey and Company, the global management consulting firm, where I spent 11 years climbing the corporate ladder. It taught me client service, that it's my job in life to help others succeed, apprenticeship, mentorship. There are very few places in your 20s and 30s where you get to spend time with the world's best executives, the greatest thinkers, and solve tough problems in compressed timeframes. But also, I was one of the very few women of color, so it took me twice as long to get to the same milestones as my male colleagues. And I firsthand saw how hard it is to be seen, to be valued in the workplace. The last part of my story is I decided I was going to quit and go around the world by myself. And at the end of this year off of traveling the world, my mom, she convinced me to take my life savings and start my own company in 2012. In fact, she said, you not have guts. I have guts. I go on the internet. I start company. And she basically emailed my lawyer, my accountant, my financial planner that I was starting a company. So it was one of those moments where I always say, Someone has to push you at times to pursue your passion and your purpose. Mm -hmm. And I'm quite lucky to have her in my life. But really, the I do believe your life story is your leadership story. And when I think about growing up with visionaries, being trained by the world's best executives, and then for the last decade, having my mom push me to really live my calling, which is to catalyze confidence in people. That's really what I've been put on this planet to do is to catalyze confidence in others. That's what I've done for the last decade, whether it's through our fashion business, our content platform, the way in which we produce and manufacture products around the world, we're literally giving people the gift of self-confidence. 
I love that. I heard so many incredible things through this, Lisa, and you definitely have the confidence that you're displaying shining through here. So that is so awesome. And, you know, it really stems early on in childhood, like you said, the, you know, the immigrant mentality really are visionaries. And I think that is such a beautiful thing where it was truly embedded within you that you had this idea and this concept that you had to think bigger, had to think outside of the box and just keep moving towards those goals, you know, and, and I love your story about how people, uh, they are going to pay if an eight-year-old is asking them and stopping them right out the door. It's like, uh, yeah. And I also I learned fast math: four ninety-five times how many people ate tonight. Okay, plus sales tax. I learned fast math. You know, April, you said something in my intro which very few people talk about, and I think it very it, it speaks to it. You talked about me being twelve years old and becoming a Toastmaster. And just to give you a sense of the grit that's in my story, my dad realized that they could not afford an Ivy League education. And I had skipped a few grades. So I was a freshman in high school when I was 12 years old. And my dad asked around our tiny little town in California, how can I make enough money? Because at the time, the college I wanted to go to was $28,000 a year. And they said, oh, did you know your kid could become a, a professional speaker and win the Rotary Club? or the Lions Club, you know, they all have these state tournaments, these national tournaments, you can win $5,000 to $10,000 if your kid can learn how to do public speaking. And so I enrolled at the Toastmasters at the Sizzler every Tuesday morning at 8am, I got a waiver out of school for an hour. And these Toastmasters taught me how to become a public speaker. And that's mm -hmm. how I paid for my first year in college. So yeah, that just, that is you know, not many people know that. I can't believe you found that in the intro. Very few people bring that one up. Well, I love it because it, I mean, it definitely paints the big picture of where you are today. You have definitely, again, you had all of these incredible things really ingrained and embedded within you from the experience you had with your parents and the where, you know, the environment that they placed you in. So you are definitely equipped with things to make a greater change within the world. So I think that that is absolutely worth shedding light to and having people understand and know. And of course, none of that is without having some sort of bumps in the roads along the way. And when we talk about confidence, you really experience that when we, you went into that fast paced world of you know corporate and what that looks like. And I would love for you, Lisa, to paint a little bit of a picture of what that first experience was because I, I believe, and you can correct me if you're, if I'm wrong, but it was that experience with your boss that had the comment of gravitas about how you show up and you're very, you know, energetic and et cetera, et cetera. And this and this and this, where it really got the wheels turning in your mind of, well, what the heck is that sort of comment first off? And what am I going to do about it? Absolutely. When I was 22 years old, I had been at McKinsey for about a year and I went into my first professional review and the opening line was, Lisa comes across as young and overly enthusiastic at times. She should seek to have more gravitas. By the way, I did not know what the word gravitas meant. I had to go LIU, look it up. And it said dignity, importance, depth of substance. At 22, you don't really have that. And when I asked her, how do you get gravitas? How do I get confidence? She said, go buy a new dress, wear big jewelry and great shoes. 
which is pretty offensive feedback if you're making $43,000 a year, size 1820, and your boss tells you to buy new clothes. I went back to her and I said, how do you really want me to go buy a new dress? And she said, no, no, no. What I'm really telling you is every morning when you wake up, you're the first person you have to look at in the mirror and you have to like yourself. I can teach you how to be good at this job, but I can't teach you how to believe in yourself and like yourself before you walk through the doors of this office. She said, Mm -hmm. Dumbo did not need a feather to fly, but it reminded him that he could. And so I always love this idea that as adults, and I'm going to, I know we're going to get into a little bit of our philosophy, but we all need to make a choice to be self-confident. We all need a reminder to believe in ourselves, which is very hard to do as adults. Yeah, it is. And I, so I don't know how you felt in that given circumstance and how you felt about that particular person. But to me, it really gave you this incredible gift of observation, of self-reflection, of questioning, you know, what else is possible and what it is and means to have that self-love and what a powerful thing that is. And and you're right, it is not too common where we have an inkling of understanding when we're that young. It takes time. It takes life. It takes hardships. It takes, you know, our own children plus some, plus some, like all of these different things that have to happen in life for us to really come to the point of what does it mean to really love ourselves? And, yeah, and, and, and what and does I, that you know, mean? You said it. Well, I was going to say, and feedback is a gift. You know, the mentor chooses you. You don't choose your mentor. And I was clearly very mentorable. I always say your toughest coach is the one that cares enough about you to succeed. Mm-hmm. And as I, you know, now 23 years later processing that event in my life and naming my company after this particular piece of feedback, what I loved about what she was saying, and I, I think this is where currently confidence culture undermines what it means to be confident. How many times have you been told, be more confident? That's ambiguous. It's anxiety inducing. I don't know what it means. And we're asked to perform it. It's a behavior. And what she was really teaching me is confidence is a mindset before it becomes a behavior. You have to believe in yourself before it has an outward expression. It's not about how I see you. In fact, Mm -hmm. if you see yourself a certain way, that's going to come through. You can't get credit for something until you give yourself credit first. And I loved that twist. Uh, One of the things I talk about a lot is we're born fully self-confident. April, when was the last time you were around a five-year-old? Five-year-olds blow your mind. When you ask them what they're the best at in the world, they're like soccer, hugs, everything. At that age, we haven't learned how to compare, despair, envy, And we truly like ourselves. We truly see our own potential. And we lose that in our adolescence. And that's chapter two of my book. We talk about six forces that hold us back from being truly confident. And everyone goes through it. It doesn't matter who you are. Between the ages of eight and 12, we experience disappointment, setback, self-awareness, and self-doubt. And these all the forces start to form an inner critic. So as adults... We really have to make a choice and do hard work to go back to being a five-year-old again, to really believing in our potential. It is. And and the more we go through our 
life experience, sometimes if we're not familiar with working towards what that inner child is like, it gets, you know, a little more difficult more and more. But I think too, there's, there's not an end to anything, you know, with self-development really is this continuous journey. But what I appreciate about your book, Lisa, is that you really, you start from the ground up, really an experience and expression of where we're at. Like you just explained, we were here because of our experiences, you know, when we're young and it just continues to build up. And it's really whether or not, and I think this is the difference between a deficit mindset and a growth-oriented mindset. To your point, and one of the forces that we identify that hold us back is a deficit mindset. When we beat ourselves up and we see our flaws over our potential, the easiest way to think about that is when you look in the mirror, do you look for your wrinkle or your beautiful sparkly eyes? Mm. The five-year-old looks at the eyes, the adult looks at the wrinkle. And I always say, when you think of every single setback and disappointment as a learning and not a regret, you start to change the way you review your past. And one of the things in the book that I'm very proud of is so much of the time we're looking at the summit that we haven't turned back around to appreciate how far we've come. And as adults, we're always striving and striving, and we've tied our self-worth to all these external markers of success. But what we don't realize is we have all these incredible talents and markers of success already in us. That means we don't have to live with anxiety about whether or not future markers are, potent, are, are, are possible. If you look up the word confidence in the dictionary, it has nothing to do with bravado, swagger, performance, any behavioral attribute. It's an understanding and appreciation of your own abilities. That is the Oxford English Dictionary definition of confidence. And when I looked at that, I said, wow, when as adults do we take a self-affirming inventory to appreciate our strengths and abilities? And that was the aha moment five years ago when I said, I really want to write this book because I want to reset how we as a society describe confidence. We keep describing it as speak up, stand on a stage, be, a, be, a, you know, be outspoken, be assertive. That is one version of it. And we found eight other versions of it. Mm. And that, that explains why so many of us feel self-doubt or fear is because we've been taught that there's a single mold in which we can behave, but there's so much more to it. So it sounds to me, Lisa, like you, you're really bringing in, this is something that we have internally within ourselves if we just reflect on all of the things that we've been so powerful in to begin with. So, you know, if we talk about the statement, fake it till you make it, right? <laughs> and it's like, well, you don't necessarily have to fake anything because you have it all right now. If you just understand that it is something you know, what we've built within our lives, that confidence is, is already there, right? Someone said to me, I did a book signing in DC and I'm in my mid forties and someone has known me for 20 plus years. And she raised her hand in the book signing and she said, I'm going to call BS on this. I've always thought of you as a very confident person. And I said to this person, I said, I've been fake. I was faking it in my twenties. I was deeply insecure. I did not like myself. I thought I'll only be happy if I'm thinner, richer, you know, all these things. I said, if I, I do believe you write the book you most need to read yourself. If I could go back in time in the Back to the Future DeLorean and give my 22-year-old self my book, 
I really would have enjoyed the journey more. I wouldn't have beat myself up. I wouldn't have tied so much of my self-worth to somebody else's view of myself. I would have still had high standards. I would have still been successful climbing that ladder, but I would have been better at self-soothing. I would have enjoyed it more. I really would have been able to stand in my own power on a more regular basis. Whenever someone criticized me in my 20s or 30s, or even now, I mean, I've written the book, so now it's less so, but I always spiraled out of control. Oh my gosh, does this person not like me? Does that mean I'm bad at everything, right? That is very human. But if I had been able to go back in time and tell myself, actually, you're the best in the world at seeing the best in other people. You are incredibly great at relationship building. You know, if I could go back and self-soothe that 22-year-old, that 32-year-old that was fired, you know, all stages of my life, I really think it would have been a more joyful journey. And I know that's what you're about when I think about the wellness-driven approach. It's really about how do we treat ourselves as well as we treat the people we love. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, and, you know, because Lisa, you've done so much immense research on this subject of confidence and gravitas. I would I would love to dive a little deeper into the the true essence of gravitas. You you shared about it a little bit, but could you explain a little bit more for for those of us who like me when I say those of us, it's really me. <laughs> lack like maybe that true essence of but in your own words, what what is it to you? Yeah. Well, gravitas is a total approach to living life with self-assurance. And I call it an approach because it's not a near-term fix. It's a lifelong journey of continually reinforcing what makes you strong. Things don't get easier. We get stronger. Mm -hmm. And so this is an approach to strengthen yourself because life happens, adversity is real, and we need to feel strong enough to take on what's next. So I like, you know, as much as this is about confidence, when you really double click on what we're trying to do is we're trying to help people feel stronger and stronger as they move through life. How that plays out. Five years ago, I said to myself, well, I could write a self-help book, but I've spent 23 years now in boardrooms, dressing rooms. And I said, we need to do real proprietary research. We did a thousand person quantitative study on confidence, 32 wow. focus groups. Focus groups during the pandemic are actually fun because people will get into an online chat room or on Zoom and tell you things they wouldn't tell you in a real focus group behind two-way mirrors. They're just escaping their family. Let me tell you all the things about myself in a chat room. The focus groups were really enlightening. I also think it was an outlet for people. They're like, wait, you need two hours of me on a Zoom? Yes, I'm in. <laughs> and what we uncovered is we uncovered that confidence comes in eight different forms. I'm going to walk you through those eight forms, but one of the most powerful things is figuring out which of these you have and which ones you want to develop. Mm -hmm. So the eight that exist are leading. This is very classic. You lead others, you inspire followership, you set direction, you're in charge, you're in command. Performing, which is what we're doing today. It's extroversion, being in center stage, the exchange of energy between people. Those two types of confidence are the ones that are most written about, most talked about, mm -hmm. but less than 20% of America has these two superpowers. Does that mean 80% of us don't deserve to feel good about ourselves? The next wow. two, right? Isn't that mind? Your mind is blown when you look it at the is. data. You're like, 
Less than one in five people have leading or performing as a superpower. And yet those are the ones that 100% of the books are written about. Mm. Uh, The next two are achieving and knowing. Achieving, you get things done on time with a winner's mindset, an athlete mindset. You don't give up. Practice makes perfect. Knowing you're the smartest, most well-researched person in the room. You love process. You do all the homework. You want to build Ikea furniture with someone who has knowing as their superpower. (laughs) The best example in pop culture or society is the three women from Hidden Figures. Think about these Black women at NASA. They weren't leaders. They weren't performers. But they were the smartest and the most high achieving. And that's why they had the confidence to get a man to the moon. It was their, it was truly their source of self-belief, why they deserve to have a seat at the table. The next two are giving, you support others, you're empathetic and believing, you're optimistic. You see positive intent in other people and other situations. If you're a Ted Lasso fan, you completely understand believing. He, in the first season, did not embody the classic coach potential. I'm a leader. I know everything about football. You know, it was, he was a believer. He Mm. said, I don't win or lose. I'm here to make these people the best possible versions of of themselves. And by the third season, believing is celebrated. And I always say the the givers and believers in the world are underestimated and underappreciated and undervalued. This new language gives them a route to self-belief that drives real outcomes. The last two of the eight are creating. That's my number one. By the way, a lot of immigrants have this because you're resourceful, you love ideas, and you can will them into existence. You believe in things before people can see them. You can create them. And then the last one, which very few people have, is called self-sustaining. I like myself. I don't need to impress you. I deserve the seat at the table. I know my value. And that is the quality most needed to overcome criticism and not spiral and to ask for a favor or a raise. By the way, asking for a promotion is achieving. I want to show you why I deserve a title change and more responsibility. Asking for a raise or a favor is I know my value. I'm okay if you say no because I have other options. I can go and find it elsewhere. And those eight, when you think about them, you're like, oh, yeah, I know the people in my life and how they're very different. You can take a quiz at myconfidencelanguage.com to figure out which ones you have. My mom, by the way, took the quiz. She has all eight. She's like, I'm all of these. Uh, 2% 2 of our data do have all eight. But it's not like Pokemon. You don't need to catch them all. It's more that when you see it, you can't unsee it. You're sort of like, wow, look at the five superpowers I have. I've been underestimating myself. Look how powerful I am. And that's something a five-year-old can do, but as adults, we struggle with doing. It also means we can recognize other types of confidence. Yeah, the awareness piece is is so beyond powerful. And Lisa, that's why you wrote the book. That's why you're going on shows. That's why I interview people to to give the awareness to the world. It is that is so powerful because we don't know and we're not taught until somebody says something or something shared with us or we read a book or we overhear something or we experience it. And I would venture to say that probably that last one is one of the most difficult ones to really achieve. And, you know, it's incredible. You know, I feel like everybody should learn and rehearse how to ask for a raise, to really advocate for yourself, to be able to put that in motion, to put it on a 
you, you know, to be able to give the numbers and, and present yourself in this beautiful manner and really put yourself out there to ask for something greater that you feel like you deserve and to be able to, to show that. And, and what I think is so hard, and I'll get into the self-doubt that occurs when we ask for a raise. Uh, number one, I hate the phrase negotiation because it implies that there's two sides and there's a winner or a loser. Mm. I think the best uh, conversations about money and salary are when you realize you're on the same table. You're on the same side of the table and it's a win-win. And by the way, by me getting my market value, I'm going to work even harder for you, right? This is actually by properly valuing the contributions I make, that makes me more motivated to do everything I can to succeed for me, for the company, for you. And so I think that's a mindset shift. The second thing is we feel self-doubt when we feel that we're going to not get what we want, judgment and those six forces. I, I know people are going to read chapter two and get what I'm saying, but we underestimate our own abilities. We don't know how to see our potential. And if you can't do it first, when you walk into the room, you've opened yourself up to the fact that someone will say, well, why do you think you deserve it? Right? You've got to know the answer to that even before you start the conversation. But that that is a mindset shift. This is a win-win I'm advocating for myself. I'm not negotiating for myself. I'm advocating for myself. And I fundamentally not only understand, know, but believe in my worth. And that last part is hard. That's really hard for people to take inventory of what they bring to the table without self-examining, oh, but I don't have that. And I Some people take my quiz. I always say there's two things that happen when people take our quiz. One, they'll say, do I really have that many superpowers? Is there great inflation? I, I'm concerned that I, do I really have five or six of these? I'm like, yes, you're more powerful than you knew. There is no great inflation. This is pure science. And mm. fundamentally, you've been underestimating yourself, under leveraging yourself, or not trusting in your own abilities. So that's number one. A lot of people have been taking my quiz before they go in for their year-end evaluation. You know, there's always that part around you have to assess what you've done this year. A lot mm -hmm. of people have said, I'm taking that in because I want to have the words to explain the qualities I bring to the table. Oh, the brilliant. Thing, yeah, I mean, the other thing that happens, by the way, is people take it and go, I have two or three. Most people have two or three. Unlike my mother, not everyone has all eight. I have four and a half of them. And it's really interesting. People have two or three. They'll go, oh, but look at the eight, the, the six I don't have. And I said, no, no, no. Pause. You've been conditioned to focus on weakness and not strength. Mm -hmm. Let's first celebrate the two you have or the one you have. Or yesterday I did a workshop in Miami. Someone had one. I'm like, look how powerful your one is. And she said, you're right. I am the best at giving. Like, and, and that mm. is really the source of my power is like, I love to give to others. I said, okay, can we just sit in that for a moment? Because I've had so many people do the exercise and I go, oh, my superpower is so boring. It's achieving. I get things done. I'm like, please, I don't have achieving. Come and work with me. I need more of that. But we have been conditioned that some qualities don't carry value. And so I said, before we get to the ones you want, and don't have yet because there's a whole approach on how to on how to think about that. I don't think you need all eight, by the way, and we I'll explain why. But let's just sit inside how awesome we are, how powerful we are. Not because someone pat us on our back or we read an Instagram post that said like hustle and sparkle today, but because we took this diagnostic and the diagnostic is not wrong, right? You you literally it's 56 questions long. I don't think it's wrong. 
Yeah, you have certainly put so much intent into this. And I can see your passion truly radiating through the screen. I think this is awesome. And yeah, you're right. It, you know, we as human beings, we wouldn't want to all be the same. That would be very robotic. It wouldn't be very fun. It wouldn't be exciting. There would be nothing new. And because we have strengths in certain of the buckets, certain buckets, right? It just leaves room and open opportunity for us to beautifully work together, right? So let's go into that because I know that you're going to explain why it is yeah, that you yeah. don't necessarily want to have all eight. You don't need all eight. Well, and and I think this is this is part of my bigger mission is to change society's views of this. In uh, the one of the examples in my book that I use is in 2013, Janet Yellen was nominated to be the first woman head of the U.S. Federal Reserve. There had not been a woman running the Federal Reserve, and there were hundreds of articles about how she didn't have the gravitas to lead the Fed. And Ezra Klein at the Washington Post wrote this beautiful opinion piece that said, it's because the pervasive view of gravitas does not stretch to include her. And he said, she's more soft-spoken, she's collaborative, collaborative, she's empathetic, and she's the most qualified. Why isn't that gravitas too? Why do we only reward extroversion and charisma when they don't necessarily drive results? And so I think the first thing I want to land is whatever your superpowers are, whatever your confidence language is, it's valid because it's gotten you to where you are today and you need to recognize it. And we as a society need to recognize that the loudest voice in the room isn't necessarily the one that drives the results. When my mom looked at the data set, I was on I was on FaceTime with her and she goes, oh, Lisa, I've been saying this for years. When tsunami happened, a man make a speech and a woman clean up the beach. Thank you. You give me credit for cleaning up the beach now. I appreciate that, you know. And so that's the first thing. The second thing, though, is we took in our data set 30 situations in life, things that you might want. And we asked people how capable or confident they were in those situations. And we correlated the most confident in a situation to which superpower that person had. And so in chapter six of my book, we take 30 situations in life. And we say, if you want this, here's the superpower you need. And what it's supposed to do is you go back and you look at your quiz results. Oh, I have that superpower. Okay, I can do this. Why am I not trusting myself? Mm. Or I don't have that superpower. I want to go develop it and cultivate it. So the best example is one of the situations we have is called starting your own business. So many people come up to me and say, I want to start my own business. And I said, okay, if you've taken my quiz, you have to have at least three out of the four superpowers to start a business. They are creating, performing, leading, and self-sustaining. If you don't have two or three of those, you're not ready yet to start your own business. By the way, my confidence language, this is why I did not last at McKinsey much longer, past 12 years, is leading, performing, creating, giving, and I've been working on self-sustaining. That's actually my half. I went from zero to like three points on that over the last two years of writing the book. But I always say, if you don't have those four superpowers, you're not ready for the leap. And so mm. you need to go build them, cultivate it. I said, I also tell people the average age of successful entrepreneur is 45. That blows people's minds, by the way. And I always say, it's because you have time, talent, and treasure. You actually have life experience and yeah. you've practiced at least two or three of those superpowers. But most people who come to me and they have achieving or giving or knowing because they've worked in a corporate, I'm like, you know how to get things done. You're super smart. You're empathetic. But to take the leap, you need these four superpowers. 
And that gives people a choice, right? Okay, do I really want that in my life? And I'm going to go build those superpowers into my life and learn how to cultivate them and get mentored, get trained on them. Or no, you're right. I'm never going to start a business. So I don't need to be a leader or a performer, right? How many times am I giving a speech or giving a toast? Not that often. But if you have to, then go and get that skill. It changes the phrase, be more confident. It could be, be more performing, be more self-sustaining, be more achieving. We create dimension to what that means. Yeah, absolutely. I think that when you talk about really cultivating these things, you're opening it up to people have the choice to have the choice to improve. And, And I really appreciate that, that yes, we may not have all of these things And if there's a certain place that you want to get and become in the world, you can cultivate them. You can work on them and, and learn and grow within that. So I really love that aspect and that you point that out. I did a workshop yesterday and one of the attendees uh, is an executive assistant for the last 20 years. And her number one superpower is giving. And she was like, I'm kind of bummed. I only have one. And I said, well, are you planning to be a leader at any point? No, no, I don't want that responsibility. I was like, are you planning to get in front of a stage and sell people on a planner idea? No, no, no. I really love my job. I love supporting the people on my desk. I said, so if you're not planning to do those things, why are you beating yourself up for not having them? The reverse was true though, in that someone, uh, I have them do an exercise where they circle which of the 30 situations they want to win. Somebody else in the same group said, okay, I have achieving, I have knowing, and I really want to start leading a team. And she said, I don't score that high in leading. Now I know I want to go build that. Thank you for giving me that leadership journey to know, or that journey information so I know what I'm focused on. But I already know I have achieving and knowing. So I already know I know how to get things done. I'm super smart, but now I can go build the other things. But that choice is important because what society might tell you is, be more confident. Why aren't you speaking up more? Why aren't you caught? And you're like, well, that's not me. Like I, the only reason I would have to be performing or leading if I were put in these situations. And by the way, not that interesting to me. I'm much more interested in taking care of my family, taking, you know, it, it, it relieves us of the burden that we don't fit the prototype or the mold. No, exactly what you're doing is showing people to begin with the end in mind. What is it truly that you're desiring to be and and embody in the world, right? And so when we begin with the end in mind, we can work backwards and find out, okay, what do we need to do in order to accomplish? Or if something gets thrown in your way, you can be like, let me look at chapter six, Lisa. <laughs> Which superpower do I need? Because this has come across my life. And, and you know, we deal with things like the death of a family member or comforting someone when they're sad or sick. You know, there are things that do pop up that were not in our plan that we say, okay, if, if someone is dealing with the death of a family member, you need to have believing. You know, there's a couple of qualities mm-hmm. you need. And if you don't have them, then that could be why you're criticized by a family member for not being empathetic in this moment. And that yeah. way you just know that that's where the, you know, one of the other things I love is it also allows you to see people differently. My brother and I, my little brother and I have opposite confidence languages. The four that I have are exactly the four that he doesn't have and vice versa. And for example, his number one is self sustaining, he doesn't need to impress you. He's not an extrovert. He has no performing. My One of my highest is performing. 
And so when we go to dinner together, I made him take the quiz. He did not want to take the quiz. Self-sustaining people are like, I don't need something to tell me who I am. I know who I am. Mm-hmm. But I made him take the quiz. And we were at dinner one night. And I was like, are you having fun? Are you having fun? And he said, you would know because I would have left by now if I weren't happy. So stop asking me what I feel right now. You know. And I said, yeah, but you know my highest superpower is performing. So every 30 minutes, just say, I'm so happy we're having dinner. This is really fun. You know, I said, we just need to, I'll stop asking. I'll stop asking and annoying you. If you'll just every once in a while throw me a bone because you know what drives me. So the confidence language is not just about ourselves. It's how we see other people. I I have a ton of people on my team who have opposite confidence languages and thank goodness they do. My confidence language cannot get anything done on time. You'll see those 30 situations and you're like, oh my gosh, Lisa's profile means nothing gets done on time. Luckily, half of my team has opposite confidence languages. So they're like, Lisa, these are the deadlines. I'm going to push through. I'm going to get it done. So it starts, it's really fun. I think at Thanksgiving this year, everyone should say, what are you grateful for? And everyone should take the quiz and say, what are our family superpowers? Everyone tell us, tell us what your top superpowers were. It's a fun Thanksgiving Uh, game. That is such a great idea, Lisa. Everybody needs to know that. Write it down, write down this website (laughs) link, because that is a great idea. We're always trying to think of certain things that we can do, like drawing your hand, making it a turkey and listing the five things you're thankful for anything, right? So, you know, engaging in family is really fun during the holidays because we're all with each other for a little bit of time, right? And I think that it truly brings up so much conversation. It's like a game, right? And like, how do we get to know each other better? And now, oh my goodness, I know quite a bit about you. So- it's Go also ahead. like, how strong are we? Right. And yeah. then, and, and when you see the results as a family, yeah. like, oh, that's why you're the first phone call when bad stuff happens. Oh, that's why when yeah. I need to read, uh, you know, a contract or a document, I go to my cousin who's the knower on the team. Like, it's like, it's like, oh, this totally makes sense. Like the, the quiz results explain how our family dynamics play out. But you might also start to celebrate, celebrate people differently. I had a parent mm-hmm. read the book. And she came up to me in an event and she said, I just need to tell you, you changed my relationship with my kids. And I said, what? I'm not a, I'm not a parent. I'm, I'm not licensed to give parenting advice. Like, please tell me that. <laughs> and she said, no, no, no. I have two sons. The oldest is 15 and the youngest is 11. And whenever we go out, my oldest, if he took the quiz, he would score high on leading and performing. You know, he's the guy who's in charge, telling the jokes, making people laugh. And she said, my youngest is knowing and giving. And he can read a book cover to cover. He can recite it, but he's not center stage. And she said, when we would go out to parties, I would say, oh yeah, my oldest will be having you all in stitches, but the youngest, he's shy. He's shy. If he doesn't talk to you, don't worry. He's and she said, no, I've been taking away his power. What I should say is mm-hmm. my oldest will have you laughing. My youngest just finished a book on pandas. You should talk to him about, he knows every fact on pandas. So if you want to talk to him, just ask him a question about the pandas. And she said, I need to celebrate that his profile of superpowers is different and valid, but I've been calling him shy for 11 years now. Think about what that does Mm. to someone on the inside, you know? And she said, I, you just changed the way I describe my kids to people. I was like, okay, well, that, that's a win, right? When we look at the strengths of our children and we can see how they're different and they make an impact in the world differently. Yeah. 
you you certainly do shed some light on people's strengths, like you call it the superpowers. And how do we really shine light upon them in the world? I think that's a beautiful example of being a parent and having a better understanding of your children and how you present them in the world, because in turn, it just gives light to their confidence and it empowers them in so many different ways. Now, or Lisa, your spouse. I, was- I got to meet your husband yeah. in the green room. I feel like the two of you need to take the quiz together and realize oh, which ones you overlap on, which ones you're different on. We are hundred percent taking the quiz and yeah, that's a great example too, is to, you know, as spouses, really, it's a, it's a great way to find out. It's like, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of love languages. It's like five love languages. You're like, (laughs) it's the love languages. And, and Lisa, so much of what I appreciate about all of the things that you've done and the immense amount of research again, of what you did and how you came to the conclusion of these eight uh, windows. And what was one of the biggest things, one of the most aha moments yeah. for you yeah. while you were conducting this research? One of the biggest things is that women in particular, the four most prominent superpowers were achieving and knowing and giving and believing. And one of my best friends saw the data set and she said, oh yeah, we're the doers who give out the hugs. And I said, well, that's a problem because most ways in which we're scored are by male standards of leadership. And so here's an example. Uh, There's a great professor at Yale, Kelly Hsu. She uh, came out with a study last summer where she uh, reviewed 30,000 employee records. And she realized that women were consistently scored the highest on performance, but the lowest on promotion potential. And men were scored very high on promotability, but low on performance. And when she double clicked on how do you define promotability, it was subjective. It was extroversion and charisma. And she said, this is very weird because these women in our 30,000 person study continue to drive better results and performance quarter over quarter, but yet are not deemed promotable. And so one of the biggest aha moments for me was, and I think this comes off the heels of Taylor Swift, Beyonce, the Barbie monologue is women face a triple standard. We have to be competent, confident, and warm. Men only have to be confident. And so because we face this triple standard, I think a broader thing that's going to happen for us is, one, we have to change the scorecard by which we measure success. We can't just Mm -hmm. label the most extroverted person in the room as the most capable because often they're not. And secondly, for women, we need to learn how to advocate for ourselves. I always say we've been bringing a tennis racket to a baseball game. We have to learn how to swing a bat. So I do want to help women get more leading and self-sustaining skills into their profile so they can be competitive because that triple standard isn't going away anytime soon. And I, I loved that Barbie monologue, but the thing that I hope my book does, it gives people a playbook for what to do with it. So when America Ferrer says like, We have to be warm, but not too warm. We have to be, you know, it's true, but then what do you do about it? I don't want people left with, well, what do we do? And I said, one, men, women, non-binary, everyone has to change how they evaluate women and allow other profiles of confidence to win. And secondly, we as women, unfortunately, this triple standard is real. So the more leading and self-sustaining skills that I can train women on, the more they're capable because women are already competent and warm. We saw that in the data set where the doers who give out the hugs 
So how do I help you swing a bat and advocate for yourself more actively? But that yeah. that data, I sort of intuitively knew it. But in chapter four, at the end of chapter four, we show the percentages. And you're like, oh my gosh, wow. Okay, this is a new way to see what we've all felt or experienced with the numbers. That's very profound. And I think that in turn with all of this stuff really needing to shift that, it's going to shift it on so many levels. We as a as a person really weigh heavily on societal standards of what everybody expects us to be, man or woman or whoever we are. We have all of these heavy, high expectations and it shifts the identity perception, right? And so when we start to, to change that kind of like we've definitely needed to a uh, long time overdue shift that food pyramid, right? That's what it makes me think of. It's like all of these things that we have, you know, expressed to the world of this is the truth and this is what is the standard is not correct. And, and it's long overdue for these shifts to really take place. Well, and, you know, in my book, in chapter eight, I talk about uh, in 2013, we had Lean In, we had Girl Boss. And the Harvard Business Review did an article about five years later that said, we leaned in and the world pushed back. And why did they push back? They pushed back because we didn't fix the underlying system, structures, incentives for women. And secondly, we didn't give women the skills they need to truly lean in. So you can tell someone to lean in, but they don't know how. And my book would not exist without those books. So I owe a great deal of gratitude to all the books that came before us. But what I like to say is we lived a summer of women's empowerment, and I don't want that to be a moment. I want it to be a movement. And so my book, I hope, is part of that movement in terms of saying, okay, for us to really capitalize on the amount of you know, uh, economic impact we made as women this summer, the amount of issues we put on the table through all the content that was generated by Taylor Swift, Beyonce, the Barbie movie, we have to have people understand that systems have to change metrics have to change scorecards. And we as women have to be comfortable with this triple standard and knowing which things we need to do to advocate for ourselves differently to still win. Because the system's mm -hmm. not going to change for 20 or 30 years. That, that's just the reality, right? You've yeah. got to bring in fresh leadership. They have to move through the system. But while that's happening, I don't want women to lose out. The, the number one biggest idea I heard in the last three months wasn't glass ceiling. In fact, we've seen more uh, slight movement in terms of percentage of female CEOs in the Fortune 500. The biggest issue that women face right now is called the broken rung. It is mm -hmm. the rung that's broken around first or second or third promotion into management levels. And that's where we're losing women because the system hasn't been completely fixed. And so I love this idea of while we've been so focused on this glass ceiling, we, fo we forgot the broken rung that we won't have enough women to make it to the top if we don't help them in the middle. Mm. Well, you bring this beautiful perspective, Lisa, that, you know, we have to be comfortable with the change. And I really appreciate that you brought that up because yes, that's part of it. And yes, the reality is this is going to take time because of that, because all of us need to be comfortable with change and making progress yes. into something new, into to different ideas of and not only different ideas, but going through all of the process of trial and error of, hey, we've got this pilot project and we got to try it out and see what works and what doesn't, right? 
And so I, I think that's incredible that you bring all that out. Now, as we're on the topic of, you know, all of these things and, and women in particular, because I think, you know, usually it's primarily a, a, a woman thing, I would venture to say, but it's in the topic of saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So you, you've talked a little bit about, or at least you shared with me, you know, during the process of scheduling with the show that there, there is this issue with people saying, I'm sorry. And mm -hmm. how do you get away from that? Because it is something that is, you have to, you, you have to continue nourishing and cultivating mm -hmm. when you're aware of it. It's kind of like when you're a speaker on stage and somebody is watching you and they're saying, well, you said, because, and you said, and uh, this many times, right? And you touched your hair a hundred times during during the interview or what have you. It's something that we have to come to the awareness of. And I'm sorry is one of those big ones. What's your take on that? I, you know, I am on a personal mission to eliminate sorry, unless you really did screw up. Okay. And this is, this is the reason why. Um, the three things that I'll tell you about, sorry, one, we have to understand why we say it. And so of the six forces that hold us back, two of them are called deficit mindset, which is we view weaknesses over potential. We look at what's missing versus what's possible. The second is called shrinking effect, where we underestimate our own abilities versus others. More often than not, if you say sorry, often you have shrinking effect or deficit mindset. When we surveyed a thousand women, by the way, it sounds like family feud. We surveyed a thousand women and we asked them what situations they were most comfortable with. It was getting things done. The second was comforting others when they're sad. And the third was admitting when they were wrong. I'm like, how is it that you're so capable at saying that you're wrong all the time? Hmm. And number one, you realize if you say sorry a lot and it's just a default, like instead of saying, um, or, you know. If you say sorry a lot, it's because you are living in a deficit mindset versus a strengths-based mindset. The second thing I always say is count the number of times you say sorry, not just verbally, but in text message, in emails. How many times do you say it? And then subtract out the number of sorries in a day that are real. Like if you spill coffee on someone, please say sorry, right? But if you track it, I tracked it for myself just in my notepad on my phone. I just put a little X every time I did it. 38 times in one day, wow. two to three times an hour. It's amazing. And you can't unsee that. You can't unsee that. No. And the third thing I say is, okay, now that you know what the baseline is, now you replace it with things. So instead of, sorry, I took up so much of your time. Thank you so much for giving me all your time. Sorry, I'm running late. Thank you for waiting for me. I really value your time. And I know you value mine because you waited 15 minutes for me to get here. Or instead of, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Good catch. It won't happen again. Thank you for finding that error. I appreciate your feedback. There are all these ways we can stand in our power, which assert that we like ourselves, that we know that we are strong enough to handle anything. And so the third thing is replace it. I, um, I had a mother and a daughter, the daughter's 13 and the mother. And I do think we role model what we see. And they had seen on Instagram that I said, you know, thank you can be a replace, a suitable replacement for sorry. I just put a little post up and explained why. And she called me and she said, you know what? My daughter and I made it into a game and we started laughing about it for one weekend. Every time the mom said, sorry, 
without really being sorry. She had to give the daughter a dollar. And every Mm. time the daughter said sorry and didn't really mean it, she had to give the dollar back. And she said, we literally found ourselves handing $1 back and forth to each other for a whole weekend and laughing about it. But she said, after that, I have not seen my daughter say sorry unless she really needed to. And she said, it was just a really fun little game that we played, just like, you know, hanging out in the home, going to the grocery store. We just kept passing it back and forth. And then she said, after that, she says, thank you. She says, like, I appreciate that. Or, you know, it it just, it changes the way in which you interact. I love that game, by the way, right? You just, and she said, I didn't, I thought I would have to be giving her a lot of dollars, but she said it too, because she's watched me her whole life say sorry so much. So it was just a fun game. She's like, it was $1 and it just kept going back and forth. No, that's, it's incredible, you know, that. Thank you for sharing that with our audience, because we as parents want so badly to be able to lead by example with our children, with our daughters, with our sons, and to have them, you know, not go through life like that, you know, not necessarily go through all the trials and errors, although we're all on our own journeys, but really empower them with the right tools to be able to to show up more confidently in the world. That is so awesome. Lisa, what is, you know, you're, you're going around and you're doing all the book signings, by the way, look her up, make sure that you see if she's coming to your city, because you're definitely going to want an autograph of this beautiful book that this is a, this is a coffee table book. I mean, look at that. It's so beautiful. I think of it as more just like sustainable. Like you could be reading your guilty pleasure and you can reuse the jacket cover on a plane. You can say, I'm really reading the new Taylor Jenkins Reid or Colleen Hoover or Tom Clancy. And I'm just covering it up with Lisa's book. So, you you know, I, I do think of it more as sustainable. Um, yes, you could sit on the coffee table, but I, I want you to read it. Um, but you can reuse the cover. My feelings won't be hurt. Yeah, no, that's a great way to put it. And I mean, my coffee table, like it's just so beautiful to display. I I love the colors. I mean, it's very much a part of my branding as well, right? That, that, that lovely black and, you know, the golds and the silvers and all of the things. So it's truly beautiful. Now that you're going around and again, check out in your city that she's going to be doing some signing. Uh, What is next for you, Lisa? What's the next big thing? Uh, well, you know, we we are a fashion company. So one of the things we're going to do is we'll be rele- releasing a capsule collection of products um, mm. inspired by the book. We actually debuted it during New York Fashion Week. So that was really fun to show people from the book. Here's what it inspired in terms of fashion. I always think Gravitas is inside. And then at some point, you might want it to be on the outside. There might be an outward expression of it. Uh, the second thing is one of the things I'm really passionate about and we're doing all over the country with different groups is taking the learnings from the book and giving people the chance to practice them. I always say it's one thing to read it and think it. It's another thing to verbalize it and share it. And so we're doing all these really cool interactive experiences with different groups. Um, I'll be in Boston this week doing it with a really cool group of women. But that's something that I hope at some point we launch. And maybe April, you'll come with me and do it together. and you know that's that's something but right now i'm most proud of my team in that for 26.99 or 3.99 ebook or audible you get to have me in the dressing room in the boardroom wherever you you know you're the feeling the most vulnerable helping you turn a moment of self doubt into a burst of self confidence and that's one of the things i'm most proud of when when people come to me in the dressing room for example a lot of times women come to me in the dressing room 
they come with all six forces. They're going to tell me they're going to lose 10 pounds. They hate their body. They just had a baby. They're going through menopause. They tell me all the things that are negative in their head. Mm. And for 30 minutes, I force them to really talk about what they love about themselves, what their best friend would tell me, what they're most proud of in the last year of their life. And while people call me the dress whisperer, what I really think I'm doing is I'm bringing a positive energy to something that is a moment of self-loathing for most more, most people. And, and that's what we try to encapsulate in the form of this book. So there are a lot of things coming up for us, but in right now, right here and now, I want as many people as possible to find their superpowers, stand in just how powerful they are, and be able to move through life with a growth-oriented mindset. That is beautiful. You really help shift the perspective in the moment. And that is something that all of us could use so greatly. I mean, we are our worst self-critic. And yeah, that's it's like automatic. You look in the mirror and you you want to shout out everything that is wrong, all of the plans that you have to fix it and all of the things. And it puts you into this totally negative state and you're just so, so hard on yourself. So I love that you bring that to, to light where you want to really shift that perspective and bring that higher energy into the room. And like you said, I want everybody to have this in their hands where they learn their superpowers, because once we come into that recognition of these are the things that we're really beautiful and great at, then we have that that insight and understanding in that moment of now that we have all of the confidence within us. I think that is so awesome. Lisa, it has been amazing to have you as a guest on the Wellness Driven Life Show. And again, I want to make sure that everybody knows where to find you. Of course, obviously, this incredible book, Gravitas, and I'm not putting that in there right. You can find that online at any major bookstore. She's going around doing the signing. So maybe go get it when she's in your city. And if you go to www, for those of you tuning in, myconfidencelanguage.com. Again, that is www.myconfidencelanguage.com. That's where you and all of your family members at Thanksgiving get to take this incredible, what is it, 50-some questions that give you the 56 statements, Mm -hmm. 56 statements. This is going to be such a fun thing to do. You can do it with your kids, do it with your, your partner, do it with your boss, take it to Mm -hmm. your boss and say, Hey, check this out. So it's just incredible, Lisa, what you have brought to the world. Is there anything else that you want to share with our audience today? You know, you were highlighting it at the end, and I do want to finish with one thought, which is um, one of the things I'm also proud of in the book is we help people have conversations with their inner critic. Because one of the things that is very clear is the six forces that hold us back from confidence are our inner, are, form the basis of our inner critic. We can never get rid of it. I wish I had a magic pill to give people where they could get rid of their inner critic. And what we say is if you know your superpowers, it becomes a megaphone that allows you to have a conversation with your inner critic. I always say, first of all, give your inner critic a name. My my inner critic's name is Fred. It's like Voldemort. If you can say Voldemort in Harry Potter, you're not scared of Voldemort. But mm. if I, I, Fred was my bully in high school. So I was like, Fred's my inner critic. And I always ask my inner critic, what's the worst case that could happen? Just say it out loud. And then you ask your superpowers, what's the best case that could happen? And what we realize is most likely is closer to the best case because you're in control because you know what your superpowers are to get you through a situation. So I love you were hinting at it at the end while we were wrapping up. But I do want to just say that is one part of the book that I'm very happy with because it's very practical to help people learn how to deal with their inner critic, not just wave it away and tell it to go away. 
Mm, I love that. And I did have a comment come through that I want to shed a little bit of light on because I think this, this may be something for you in the future. Next book idea, Napkin Ambition may be a collaboration. <laughs> oh, I love that. That could be really cool. We could help people figure out what belongs on that napkin. I love that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Lisa, it has truly, honestly, been such an awesome time here with you on the Wellness Driven Life Show. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us, your wisdom with us, your knowledge with us. I'm so excited to be able to, you know, share this with everybody to have them get their hands on this incredibleness that you have created for some really powerful insight. So thank you so much for being a guest. And I want to say thank, thank you, you so much. My pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And goodbye for now. We will see you next time. <laughs>